your teenaged, angsty, disconnected, too connected, and you need an anthem. You need a banner to wave high. This is that banner. This is that anthem. I am Mark D, IT guy, dad, and generally bad nerd with limited music experience. And today we are talking about Dookie. Running it by the numbers, Green Day's Dookie was released February 1st, 1994 on Reprise Records. It went diamond and sold over 10 million copies. It charted in multiple countries and peaked at number two in the U.S. It peaked at number one in New Zealand. It's got 14 tracks and lasts 39 minutes and 38 seconds. Pitchfork's Mark Hogan gave it an 8.7 in his detailed review. It is a very good read. This is also episode one. This is the Phantom Menace of Mark's music collection. That's not necessarily a good thing on any front. I'm legitimately not sure how to transition from that beginning segment, running it by the numbers, was a good idea, or so I thought. Uh, so we'll just start. Dookie as well. It, well, it, Dookie, quote-unquote Dookie, is actually poop. I have been saying a low-key swear word, or just feces, the whole time. I'm going to try not to curse. Keep it clean. Anyway, it means poop, and it's a reference to tour diarrhea. So yeah. Dookie is a coming-of-age album. Definitely. Welcome to Paradise is a huge one on that front. Coming clean. Amenia sleepus. These are about moving out, coming out, and growing up or apart, respectively. Sassafras Roots, She, When I Come Around, Pulling Teeth, and Chump feel like stages in a relationship that culminate in FOD. If you've been fortunate enough to never have a relationship tank, then you may not be able to relate to an approximate half of this album. Burnout and having a blast are about the challenges of growing up and being on your own and essentially being an adult. So I guess I can address growing up. I've done it. Uh, allegedly. Growing up is difficult and traumatic for many people in many different ways. Right at the top, I'll say that if you or someone you know is having a tough time, please get some help. Talk to someone. Uh, hurting yourself and hurting others won't fix anything. It isn't easy, and it isn't any easier alone. Burnout and having a blast are really about these feelings of isolation and anger that ultimately result in depression and that desperation that the song's narrator feels. A lot of people feel that way growing up, and I was definitely one of them. It was really interesting to have this song and the people who created the song, validating my feelings. There is a fundamental shift of point of view and understanding, a point in time where you realize that you're going to have to do for yourself and you'll be on your own. This album was someone I could talk to. Maybe that's a bit too dramatic as I didn't have a rough upbringing, but I was very much in my own head. There were times when I felt like I was going nowhere and I'd just get in my car and get lost. 
This was also before smartphones, so I would literally get lost. And eventually, after a long drive with the windows down, I'd center myself and find my way home. Basket Case is a song that you'll never hear me talk about. Basket Case is a song that enthralled so many people. The song was quite literally everywhere. I was young and I was instantly ensnared by its catchiness. I may have listened to that song over a hundred times in a week. If it were possible to wear out a CD, and at this point I'm not certain that it's not possible, but it would be difficult to prove. My CD would have been worn out on Basket Case. I could recite the entire song from memory. I essentially knew all of the music as well and could, in South Park Guitar Hero fashion, just hum the entire song from memory. I have this thing, this problem, where I obsess over something completely until the point that it disgusts me. Basket Case reached that point. The song is not bad, not by a long shot. It definitely listens well, as the massive album sales on its back show, but it has depth and emotional honesty behind it. I just can't stand it anymore. The same goes for Longview, except I found Longview to be depressing and not even remotely as engaging. There's a thin line between love and hate, and these songs have definitely crossed over. This doesn't change my opinion of the album or, objectively, my opinion of the songs. I just don't enjoy them anymore due to exhaustion. There are songs that I greatly enjoy to this day, however. Basically, every song that I haven't mentioned yet gives me net positive feelings. I think that they are net positive because I'm old enough, wise enough, and distant enough from the events to handle the associated emotions and memories a lot better. I liked the relationship songs when I was a kid. I liked them growing up, but especially the breakup songs. I lived them when I got a little older. I got into a serious relationship when I was pretty young, and it ended poorly. Or well, ended badly, I guess. Ending poorly would mean that it was bad at ending. No, it was good at ending. It ended. Chump really illustrated some of the feelings I was having. FOD was on repeat quite a bit. In the end, opened for FOD often. This tier of emotional trauma was new to me. I had definitely experienced a constant level of outsiderness that had mostly subsided, but it all came back with a vengeance. These songs, I think, speak for themselves. The feeling and emotion are clear enough. In the end was written by Billy Joe Armstrong about his mother's husband. It's just a song about generally not wanting to be near someone. I can relate. Things are pretty straightforward on most of the album. One song that confused me for a while was Emina Sleepus, which was written by bassist Mike Durnt. It's definitely a song about growing apart. That much is plain. But in what way? It seems like the general consensus is drug abuse, but that may not necessarily be the author's intent. I grew apart some of my friends, and upon meeting them again years later, found them to be unrecognizable. That's the thing that happens. They say that it's almost impossible to have friends over the age of 30, and I can say that, at the very least, it is much more difficult than it used to be. 
I'm fortunate in that I do have some friends that I could call upon noon or night with no issue whatsoever. Another song that had me puzzled for a long time was Coming Clean. I was wondering if the narrator was talking about being sexually active early on, or if the narrator was gay. Maybe it was just a song about puberty and about being ashamed of some of the things that come along with it. Mind you, I went through puberty while having knowledge of and probably listening to this album. At the time, I thought that, and I quote, Mom and Dad would never understand. But being in my 30s and being a parent, I think that perhaps Mom and Dad understood all too well. It turns out that Billy Joe Armstrong has stated that it was written about him coming to terms with his bisexuality. Sassafras Roots and Welcome to Paradise are really the only uppers on the album that I can think of. It's been a while for me, but the feeling of being in a new relationship or the feeling of an impending romantic relationship is something that I think I remember. I believe it was in Hearts in Atlantis that Stephen King and the eponymous Davella describes it as a lifting-off sensation. That quote may not be quite correct, but I'm fairly certain it's in this novella in this book. As a brief aside, I've been a King fan for many years, and this particular novella is my favorite thing that he's ever written. Anyway, that feeling is a feeling that I feel when I listen to Sassafras Roots. Welcome to Paradise is really just an anthem for getting over your fears for the larger world and for getting out of your parents' house. It starts out kind of rough, but ends with some kind of actualization. You start to realize that you are strong enough and that you can make it. Green Day is a three-piece band, Billy Joe reportedly said. I couldn't go back to the punk scene, whether we were the biggest success or the biggest failure when talking about signing with a larger label. can say that they were also departing the punk scene in terms of their music. Punk to me was the revival in the 90s, which in my opinion is a more sophisticated arrangement of these three or four instruments in the same style as punk, the frenetic we-don't-know-how-to-play music that real punks listen to. I guess I'm just a soft old fat cat who likes air conditioning, personal property, and some semblance of melody and intelligibility. I say semblance because there are other bands and other forms of music that sacrifice these or exchange them in further pursuit of their art, which I really enjoy. It's not a rule, but generally I don't like real punk as much as I enjoy the good choices made on this album. There doesn't seem to be a lead guitar so much as the guitar is the material of the tapestry and the rhythm section provides the patterns and the color. Mike Durnt is prominent in the mix, and Trey Cool flushes out the bars with very crisp, nice fills. Trey Cool really does make the most out of his kit on this album. These are not complex in the sense that technical metal is complex. There are arrangements assembled to work together to create a greater whole. Billy Joe Armstrong's vocal style, perhaps I could describe it as a lazy Cockney accent, is just something that I accepted long ago and it is so ingrained in my mind that I could never imagine it to be different or better on this album. 
I'm not going to nitpick on the ubiquity of the chord progression on Basket Case or anything like that. This isn't that type of show. Music makes an impression on me. I guess this has been my impression of Green Day's Dookie. You can find me on Twitter at CoolMarkD, Cool with a C and Mark with a K. Let me know what you thought of Dookie. Until next time, keep calm and music on? I don't know. That's, that's dumb. I'll think about it. I, I really don't know what to do at this part of the show, but happy listening. <laughs>